This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, Parshas B'Shalach. Um, this is, uh, we're going to talk a lot about the different parts, that, different things that happened when they came to Mara. So we all know what happens in this week's Parsha regarding Kriyas Yamsuf and how everything happened together. It, the Pasuk says in Parak Tezvav, Pasuk of Beis, Vayasa Moshe Suom Yamsuf, Bnei Yisrael traveled, Moshe Rabbeinu brought them from Yamsuf, Vayetzu Midbar Shur, they came to the desert called Shur, they went three days in the desert and they could not find any water. It says, so they came to Marah, they couldn't drink any water from Marah because it was so bitter. And that's why they called the name of this city Marah. Marah is known for the bitterness of all the water that was there. That's how bitter it was. So Rashi says this entire thing was a test, a huge test to see how the Jews would react. And they reacted as one would expect the stiff-necked people to do. We all know Jews, right? And this is exactly what they did. Instead of requesting from Moshe Rabbeinu that he should daven for them to bring about the rain, they immediately complained and argued and told them what they thought was wrong. The way of a tzaddik is to request, not to demand. And the fact that they didn't do it in that way, it was a test. And they did not pass this test, according to Rashi. This is a test that they failed. The Ibn Ezra says, the purpose of any test is to reward the people that do well. The Ibn Ezra says, granted, there were, there were people that complained, but it wasn't all of the people. There were many, many people who never complained. There were many people who didn't do anything at all that was wrong. They did it in the right way. It was only these people, the people that were right over here, in which we say these few people that were around that did it in the wrong way and they failed the test, but many, many people did pass the test. A Chidusha Rim, the Chidusha Rim says, an Isayon, by definition, is a nace. Now, we know nace means miracle, but there's another word. What does nace mean aside from miracle? Banner. By a banner, a flag, a pole that goes all the way up. The definition of a nace and an Isayon is to bring a person up. That even if you're all the way down here, you can build yourself up and make yourself even higher. The children of Israel were raised to a higher level by what had happened over here, by bringing themselves to this point. And in that sense, they did pass the test. Yeah, they were upset. They thought that it was bitter. They couldn't stand it, but they were better the next time. Says the Kedush Rim, that allowed them to become a better person, a better people next time. That's a huge lesson for all of us. There are times where we get upset, we get annoyed. We say, you know what, this is what happened. I get so upset. The lesson to be learned, says the Kedush Rim, is you take that saying that you failed and you pass it the next time. You know what to do the next time that happens. That's unbelievably good for those who are married with their wives. Unbelievably good for friends, for people that just don't know how to, how to deal with certain things that their friends do. You take that lesson, you build it up the next time. The Ravina Bechaya says, this was an extremely difficult test. This was not an easy test whatsoever, not a test that they could normally do. Rabbi Bechaya says they just went three days in the desert without any water. Three days without water in the desert for all these people. Let's say there were only 600,000 people here, which we know there were more than that, 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60. We're talking altogether maybe 3 million, maybe 3.5 million people that are walking in the desert. Three days without water? Who here could go a day without water? We complain we don't have water after an hour. That three days to be without water, says Rabbi Micaiah, they couldn't deal with this. They couldn't find anything at all. And they were sitting there looking for a place that was usually reliable for water, where they thought this is a good place to go for water. And they found nothing. They found nothing whatsoever. This was all done, says Rabbi Micaiah, to build up their strength, their bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch their trust that HaKadosh Baruch was going to help them. And they couldn't deal with it. They saw bitter waters, and they had no idea what to do with themselves. And they had to realize, you have to trust HaKadosh Baruch for everything you need. And when you have that trust, then everything's going to work out well, that was the Nisayin that it got into over here. But the Nitziv says the opposite. And listen to this Nitziv. They weren't even thirsty. Yeah, they had gone three days without any water. 
but they weren't even thirsty and they didn't even notice it. If you wouldn't have told them that you didn't drink water for the last three days, they wouldn't have been able to tell you. They felt, and I guess because you're sitting in Ananiya Kavod, you're eating mun the entire time, they mamish felt like this was an awesome time for them. They didn't feel anything wrong. They thought that everything was good. And they could, you, you couldn't even ask them. Says in Etzev, only when they got to Murrah and they took a cup out and they drank the water, not because they had to drink water, because they wanted to drink water. They felt like they wanted to have a drink of water. Once they did that and they tasted the water and it felt bitter to them, that's when they realized, oh my gosh, we're thirsty. Oh my gosh, we haven't drunk in three days. That's when they realized that. Can you imagine? They really had gone three days without drinking and it didn't matter. Now, because they drunk something that was unnecessary, now they felt something was, they felt that they were thirsty. Now they started to complain. Even then, it wasn't everyone. It was the Am. Says in a tip, what a beautiful shot that only some of them realized it and they wouldn't have known otherwise. Nobody would have known otherwise. Says the Chavetz Chaim, it was not a coincidence that in the very next city, they went to a city called Elim. And in Elim, there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. It's not a coincidence. Says the Chavetz Chaim, usually our Yeshua is right around the corner. It's just a question of whether or not you're going to wait for it. Are you going to wait for that Yeshua to happen and allow it to happen on its own? Or are you going to push, the, push the, everything and say, I'm going to do it right now. I need something in Morrow. Had they only waited, nothing would have been bad. They would have seen it in Elim and everything would have been taken care of. But the Chavetz Chaim says, that's how we all are. We want something right now. We don't want to wait. We want to do it right now. And if we can't get it right now, then we're upset. HaKadosh Baruch why won't you give it to me right now? And HaKadosh Baruch was like, I just wanted you to wait five minutes. Just five minutes, that's what I wanted you to wait. There were five minutes that I wanted you. And you couldn't. You didn't do it. That was the idea of what Mara was. They missed out on a golden, ripe opportunity to become great by waiting. And if you look throughout the entire Torah, you can see this message over and over and over again. You know, if Adam and Chava would have just waited, if they would have just waited to eat the fruit, then everything would have been fine in Gan Eden. Everything. You would have had no, pro- no problems whatsoever. If B'nai Yisrael would have stopped and waited every time they complained, just waited a little bit, nothing would have gone wrong. This idea of them complaining is always a constant idea of you're asking for it too early, too soon. You're asking for it at a time when it shouldn't have been asked for. And the Kliyakr says, Mita Kenegemita, since they're on their way to accept the Torah, and they were supposed to learn what God wanted from them, and they delayed at Kriyas Yamsuf, so because they didn't want the water of Torah, Hashem took away their natural water, the natural water that was there. But now, we're going to have to see a different direction and go a different direction in this. Maybe there's another way of learning up this entire thing of what happened at Mara. Says the Malvin, they knew the distance between one city and the next. They knew they were going to come to Mara, and they had prepared properly. They all had flasks. They all brought barrels. They filled them up with sweet water. And they had gotten themselves ready for a three-day trip. They weren't thirsty over those three days. When it says they went three days without water, it means they went three days without finding water in the streets. They couldn't find it in the different places they had come to. That was the issue. But not that they were thirsty. Not that they didn't have any water at all. They had water. They had their own water that they brought with them. And they were all fine. But they only bought themselves three days worth of water, says the Malbim. Three days worth. And when they came on that third day tomorrow, they expected to be able to have a little bit more. And normally, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if they see, oh, one place, they didn't have any water. All right, what's the big deal? We have some leftover water from over here. I'm sure we'll come to another place. But here was the big difference. And this is something that hit Klau Yisrael like a ton of bricks. They're used to miracles already. And I, I know we're not in this level. We're not, we're not here. But think about this. They'd just gone through the Makos. They'd seen Kriyas Yamsuf. They have the Mun every single morning. Uh, it's a question of whether or not they had the Mun yet. But let's say they had something that was like the Mun. 
And then they had Ananiya Kavut surrounding them at all times. They're used to miracles. They're expecting miracles. When people are expecting miracles, they can't deal when something doesn't happen their way. What do you mean discomfort? I'm living a life of a miracle. I'm living a life where everything is going the best possible way. How could I live and how could this be? When you get used to certain expectations, you can't deal with anything else. You can't get around all these different things. They had fresh water in the middle of the Red Sea or the Suez Canal, whatever, wherever Kriyas Yamsuf happened. They sat there and one of the miracles of Kriyas Yamsuf was that fresh water came from the Red Sea and started going into their mouths. They were able to drink fresh water in the middle of the Red Sea in a, in a, a coral reef. They were able to have fresh water down there. If they could have fresh water there, how come they couldn't find any in Mara? How come this sweet water over here wasn't turning into sweet water? They were so used to these miracles happening, they had expectations. And when people have expectations, that's when things go badly. This is the problem over here. When they went three days and they didn't see any miracles, miracles, yeah, they had the Ananiya Kavod, but didn't see any miracles within the water, they were shocked and they wondered what would happen. And the reason was they didn't deserve it at all. They hadn't prepared themselves yet to be able to have these miracles happen to them, like the May Miriam, the Be'er Show Miriam. They weren't ready for such a thing yet. It was out of the ordinary in their minds. So therefore, because of that, it was just a shocker. I, I think if, if everybody gets, I don't know if, uh, if this is a full answer, but I, I guess it's sort of like this. If you went to a yeshiva, let's say, right, and you expected lunch every day, then if one day the yeshiva doesn't pull out a lunch, even though they gave an awesome breakfast, Right? And there was an awesome dinner. But if they didn't pull out a lunch, they didn't serve you lunch that day, you would go crazy. What am I paying for? Why am I even here? This yeshiva stinks. This is the worst place ever. That's the first thing that anybody's going to say. Now, why? Let's say there was a really good excuse. Let's say that they had, I don't know, they didn't have any water. And they weren't able. The water was shut off. It was a pipe main. There was a break. There was nothing they could do. But they should have ordered me pizza. And they should have gotten me lunch. And they should give me money back. That's what you think, right? You're only missing a meal. You just ate three hours ago breakfast. Three hours ago, right? I know this sounded like a yeshivish way of saying it. You just ate three hours ago breakfast? It's like I pushed my mother down the stairs. A couch. <laughs> I realize. I understand completely. I understand. I didn't say that in the right way. So I'm sorry about my grammar. Regardless, I, I understand. But it seems like so strange. How could it be? This was the test at Mara. Are you going to be okay with the fact that a miracle did not happen right when you wanted it to happen? Are you going to be okay with it? And the people weren't okay with it. We have all this time. We're expecting this to happen. They could not deal with the fact that they didn't have a miracle. How could it not be a miracle? And Rapur says they had seen the craziest things, the craziest thing, that, that, that a Kurdish Baruch would help, help them out of crazy crises that they had gotten into before. But to depend on Hashem in ordinary circumstances, in normal situations where I'm looking for water and I don't know where water is, that they didn't know they could rely on Hashem for. They knew Hashem was in the crazy. Hashem was into doing these huge miracles. But who says he's willing to do small little miracles like get me a cup of water when I'm ready for a cup of water? Who says that he's ready for that? I, 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 that? They weren't sure. Now, HaKadosh Baruch who showed them a normal crisis. And this is what happened. A normal crisis of water. And he showed, I'm here with you for everything. Yes, Mike, what were you going to say? Now you have food. The Mashiach says this in a totally different way. 
for the first time in a while, they didn't feel a Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence as close as they did before. It was like the first time where they didn't feel like they were close to Hashem. Think about it. Up until now, they felt everything. They felt enveloped by God's presence. They felt like they were there with God wherever, whenever everything happened. When the Makos were happening and they were unaffected, they felt it. At Kriyas Yamsuk, they saw what no Navi, even Yechesko Bambuzi, wasn't able to see in the future. They saw awesome things, things that they couldn't stop thinking about. Says Meashilach, and now it went three days without having any feelings whatsoever. Those feelings of his galus, those feelings of greatness, they wanted it back so badly and they couldn't get it back. They got depressed. They got depressed. We haven't seen God in three days. We haven't had a feeling like this in three days. And again, none of us have felt this. I mean, if, you, if you're a closet Navi, I'd love to hear about it. But it, a person who's a Navi, who doesn't get in a vua after a while, that person sits there and says, why not? Why not? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that was awesome. It was the greatest feeling in the world. And now I got nothing. Now I have absolutely nothing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why? Why do you take this away from me? Says the Meashilach, they were grappling toward these issues, trying to get over it, and they couldn't deal with it. And again, everybody has that feeling of, if only God would speak to me. If God would give me that one little message. If God would talk to me, then everything would be okay. Then I'd be fine. Everything would be fine. It's not true. It's a lie that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. If only God would send a message in the sky and he would say, Tzvi, I am here, love God, then I'd be fine. I'd be perfectly fine. I'd sit up there and I'd look up and I'd be like, this is awesome. I'm doing everything I got to do. Now I'm going to do everything forever. It's not true. Says the Chidush Rim, says the Meashiloach, you're not. It's going to work for a little bit. It's going to be awesome for the first time you see God. It's going to be good for the next hour or two. And then a couple hours, couple days, maybe even a month, maybe it'll last a month. It's gone. You forget that you ever reached God. And this is what they felt like. Kriyas Yamsu just happened. They just crossed the Yamsu. Everything was awesome. They saw the greatest miracles you could ever imagine. And now, nothing. Nothing. They felt absolutely nothing. And this was the problem. They're so used to these things, they can't get over it. That's the Kriyas as well. They had no impression with which they could say, we're making up something great for God. We're doing something for God. Like we have the Torah. They felt like they were missing out on life and they didn't know what to do with themselves. A life in which you lived in Egypt watching miracles happening, where you could see what happened to Paro, where you could see what happened at Kriyas Yamsu, and now nothing. How do you go back to the ordinary part of life? What do you do? And I guess this is true by almost any player. After you win a championship, what do you do after that? Unless you're Rob Gronkowski and you're partying for the next six months straight. What do you do after you win a championship? It's great for like that day or two afterward. And then what? I remember, I'm, a, I, I'm still a big White Sox fan. In 2005, right, when the White Sox won the World Series, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. I remember, I, mean, like, I, was, I, I didn't have a TV, so I was watching, I, watching on the radio, right? And as I was watching on the radio and I heard the final out and they won the game, I was like, yeah! And then I was done. I got nothing else. What happens? What's five minutes later? I walk in the house. Hey, can I have a snack? That's it. What else do you have? There's nothing else to do. Well, you get really excited maybe if you see the World Series trophy. I'm not so excited by the World <laughs> Series trophy, right? When the Blackhawks win year after year after year. The first time, everyone's like, this is awesome. Second time, people are like, it's okay. And the third time, people are like, eh, we expect this already. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just part of life. It's part and parcel of what life is. It's going to feel that way about the Cubs soon. It's going to be the same basic idea. Says the Kedusha Rim, you're just not used to it. You're just not used to this idea of where the miracles go. And the Shach says it as well. Paro went three days in the midbore. Three days. Or, I'm sorry, I should say it the opposite way. Moshe told Paro, we're going to go three days in the desert. These were the three days in the desert. This was the three days that he had promised. He had said, Paro, we're going to go three days in the desert. We're going to have a Chag. We're going to have a holiday. And then we're coming back. These were the three days. 
This is what he meant to do. He meant to go out of Mitzrayim, go three days into the desert, make korbanos and learn something, etc., and then come back and bring himself back to Egypt. Whether that was always meant to be or it was always a ruse and it was never meant to happen in the first place, that's a good question. But the shach says, this was the kiyom, this was what was supposed to happen right there at that time. These laws, when they finally got to it, seemed a little bit weird. They learned about paraduma, about the red heifer. They learned about Shabbos. And they learned about dinin, about certain things. And when they heard them, they were like, really? This is what we were going to have a chag for? I expected so much more. I expected awesomeness. I expected something to be out there. And they didn't get it. And I know this happens by certain balichuva, where they hear these awesome divrei Torah, usually with gematria-oriented, right, and everything like that. And then they come in, and they learn their first piece of gemara, and they're disappointed. Because you're expecting everything to be awesome. Everything has to jump at you. Everything has to be right in your face. But the truth is, it's part of life. The ordinary, you have to make it super. You have to make it something better. If you allow only the greatest things in the world, the supernatural, to be your world, then good luck. Good luck living the rest of life because you're going to live an ordinary life. You're going to live the little things and you have to get used to these things and deal with them. That's the problem that Ben Esau are in right now. That's what happened to them during these three days of Mara and they didn't know what to do with themselves. Now, in Bavakama, Pebes, we learned that water refers to Torah. And we see this all over the place, that water refers to Torah. And this Pusik means when they went three days without water, it didn't mean they went three days without water. They went three days without learning Torah. Three days, they had not learned a thing. At Kriyas Yamsuf, I guess they had learned something. I don't know how that happened. But they had learned something at Kriyas Yamsuf, and they were ready to learn more, but they have gone three days just traveling, doing nothing else. Yeah, Ali. So what else do they do all day long? I think the traveling and dealing with the different issues of traveling was their biggest issue, but you're right. Obviously, the they didn't. According to one parish, the Imam Lois brings down, the Anani covered were moving escalators. You know how you go on O'Hare, you got those moving escalators? And moving walkways. By the way, the moving walkways, right, they're ending right here. So I was just in it, obviously, it was just in O'Hare, right? So I went down there. I have a challenge. I don't know if anybody else does this. I try my hardest to beat the guy who's walking on the moving walkway. I walk trying to beat him. I try to be that guy, and I just look over at him, just like, I'm faster than you. You might be walking on that moving walkway, and I'm still faster than you. How do you feel now? I do that all the time. All the time. I know I shouldn't. I realize. I understand. But that's that. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were walking outside in the night of and seeing if they could go faster. I have absolutely no idea what they were doing. But for three days, they didn't do anything. They really didn't do anything whatsoever. And that's what the Gemara Baba Kama says. They were thirsting for something. They became very weak because they hadn't learned anything whatsoever. Targi Yonason says it as well. Betalin min pikodaya. They had stopped learning their Torah. They couldn't find any water. Means they weren't learning anything whatsoever. So what are they do. The prophets among them got up, seems like they made it right then, and they decided there's a takana. From now on, we lane Monday and Thursday. We're going to lane Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos. Every Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos, we're going to take out the Sefer Torah. We're going to read from the Sefer Torah. That's what we're going to do so we don't go three days without Torah. Because obviously, Shabbos, Sunday, Monday. So Monday is only two days away. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Three days away between Monday and Thursday. And Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, only two days away. So we're never going to have a situation where you're going three days without Torah. That's why we lane. That means you have to go to Shul. Just saying. But either way, but you'll never go those three days without learning any Torah. That's the idea of what happened. And the Gemara says, that's what we end up going through. The Chavot time asks, why is Torah like water? Why would you compare Torah to water? Now, it's true. Torah is also compared to wine. It's compared to milk. But why do you compare it to water? Why? Refreshing. Refreshing. You can't live without it. Listen to this shot. Says the Chavot Chaim, 
because water doesn't quench your thirst the way that other drinks usually do. Water, right, if you want it and you're really thirsty and you have water, it does wonders. But if you just drink it, there's no taste. But obviously, if you know, if you're really thirsty and you have a cup of water, it's awesome. If you're thirsting for it, it's awesome. You're not thirsting for it, water has no taste. I'd rather have something else. That's the difference between them. And here he says, that's the shot behind Torah. If you're thirsting for Torah, if you really want it, then it's awesome. And if you're not thirsting for it, if you're just like, yeah, whatever, I'll take it. If I, if I need it, I guess I'll have it. Then water and Torah taste like nothing. If you're doing it just because you have to, it tastes like nothing whatsoever. But if not, then it really is something. Then it is something that's kosher. You have to make it that you're thirsting for it, and then all of a sudden it becomes something for you. Says the Chafetz Chaim, that's why we compare it to water itself. The tor- yeah, man. What about the other, uh, the other comparison? So that's, that's already brought by the Gemara itself. Like wine is because of the chashivas, milk is supposed to be because of the purity, I believe, of libun, libun chatoyim, but there's other issues with all them, but the water specifically is the one that, they, that he was concentrating on. The Torah Tamima says, this whole drush is really strange. Is there anything wrong with this pasuk that you think there's something up with it that you say like, oh no, it's not talking about water, it's talking about Torah. It says they went three days in the desert without water. That makes sense. There's nothing there that you'd say like, no, tell me a, tell me a real shot in the pasuk. Usually, when you have a medrash like this, the medrash that says it was three days without Torah. It's because it's impossible to say they went three days without water. What was wrong with the Pusik? They went three days in the desert and they couldn't find water. That makes a lot of sense. Where did this medrash come from that you felt it had to be there? So he says, maybe this is a hint. Maybe it's something else. He wasn't sure. The Torah Tamima did not write it in a, in, in, in a certain way. But Schwab says the whole idea is to teach us the limitations of how long a miracle lasts for us. And this similar goes back to the Chidusha and the Mashiach and the Shach. He says, the greatest of miracles, the impact it has on you, is three days. No matter what you do, no matter what you have, any crazy miracle that happens to you, three days is the limitation of how long it's going to go for. We've heard about what's happened, what happened in Eretz Yisrael in all these different wars, in 67 and 73, right? 90, 81, if anybody, when they fought against Iraq and they, they fought against Iraq, when they sent in the planes to Iraq, all the crazy miracles that happened. How many of those people were lasting Bali Tshuva? Lasting Bali Tshuva. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are, but they're not high, unfortunately. Even though they saw miracles with their very eyes. They saw what was happening. They saw the craziest things. The generals that were in charge of the army, that were in charge at the time, how could they not be the greatest Bali Tshuva ever? They should immediately come back and say, God is great. We couldn't do this by ourselves. It was only through God that this happened. That's what they should have said, but they didn't. Why didn't they say it? Says Rav Schwab, because this is what happens. Miracles have an effect that goes for three days and that's it. And that's the lesson from here. They were wondering, what's going on here that the Pusik says three days without water? Because if you don't do something within three days of when a miracle happens to keep this by you, it's not going to last. Nothing's going to last. It's going to be gone after three days. That's a huge lesson when it comes to miracles that happen to you. Yeah, Mike? Isn't that what Yisro did? I mean, he acted right away. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yisro, next week's Parsha, gets up and runs to Klal Yisro. He hears about Kriya Siam. So he heard about what happened. He gets up and he runs. Everybody else, they probably also said the same thing. But they're like, you know what? I'll go next month. And by next month, they said, forget it. We're not going. That's what happened. Yisro decided to get up and go, leave his flocks, leave his money, leave everything. I'm getting up and I'm going. And that's the way we have to be. When we see a miracle like this, we have to get up and do something. We have to mamish get up and do something. If we don't, then something happens as an effect. It just doesn't happen as much. Now, the Rambam says in Hilchos Tefillah, Hilchos Tefillah, Perak Beis, Halacha Aleph, that the Nevi'im that made this law that we have to lay in every Monday and Thursday is Moshe Rabbeinu himself. That idea of laning 
what we do on Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos, taking out the Sefer Torah and reading from it, which, by the way, is so such audacity to be able to take out a Sefer Torah, Kaddish Baruch Hu's word, and read from it, have a guy make a bracha on it, that takes, that takes azus. Azus, brazenness, to be able to do such a thing. We do it every Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos that was made by Moshe. That's got to be one of the oldest takanas out there. We have a takana from Moshe Rabbeinu to Lane every Monday and Thursday, but there's a problem with this. The Gemara says it. Ezra HaSofer made the idea of laning on Monday and Thursday. Ezra HaSofer lived a thousand years later. How in the world could it be, I shouldn't say a thousand, 870, 870 years later, how could it be, right, that Moshe Rabbeinu made it, but then Ezra made it? So the obvious answer is, in the middle, somewhere in between, it got lost. They were doing it, and then they stopped it, and Ezra brought it back. What are you going to say, Ezra has to do with the days of the marketplace, right? Yes, he did it because of the marketplace and the days of Din, when they would bring in the judges. So he specifically said, we're going to do it on Monday and Thursday. That's exactly correct. I think it's the same idea. Thursday always has to be a market day, we know, because of Shabbos, right? In order to get things together for Shabbos. That made a lot of sense that they made Thursday as their market day. Why Monday? I think it's toward the beginning of the week, and that's what people did. It's Shabbos, you weren't able to get all your stuff together yet. Monday they did it. It made sense. So, so too over here, they just said, since people are going to the, the big cities on those days, let's land on those days. It was more of a practical difference as opposed to a natural correlation of three days, etc. Moshe Rabbeinu made it because of this, and that's clear that it's because of this. Now, Tosis brings down another idea, then he came down in Arsini the, th- the third time to bring the second pair of luchos. He went up on a Thursday, he came down on a Monday, and that's why we land on Monday and Thursday. That's what Tosis says in Nakama over there in Baba Kama. But it seems a little bit strange. Torah Tamima says, to me, and this is what the Torah Tamima, but Rebarach Hapshin was a bit of a Balmachadish, he said, to me, it makes more sense that Moshe Rabbeinu did not make this. He wanted to make it, and maybe he told the people this would be a great idea, but he didn't make it yet. And to me, this makes a lot of sense. They didn't have a Torah yet. They didn't have a Torah yet. They had something, because remember, on the fourth day of Sivan, when they were by Harsinai, they wrote a Sefer Torah from Bereshis up until Yisro. They wrote something by Yichtov Moshe's Divriya Torah Zos. It says on the fourth day of Sivan, so they wrote it down. But nonetheless, that's in Parshim Mishpatim, Perachav Dalad, I think, Pasuk Zion. So that makes sense. But there's no way they had it then in Mara. There was no Sefer Torah in Mara. So what were they laning? Then Moshe Rabbeinu said, let's do it Monday, Thursday. They had Oz Yashir, but I don't know if they wrote it down. It doesn't say anywhere that they wrote down Oz Yashir. The only thing that we know they wrote down was Parshas Amalek. Because it says, mm-hmm. That's at the end of this week's Parsha. That we know they wrote down. We know they had a Sefer called Sefer Ayasher, which the Ramban says was a book of stories of the Avos. Some of that got incorporated in what to, into our Torah today. But we have no idea what else they had that they could have laned. So to say that Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're going to lane every Monday and Thursday, that's what we're going to do? Where? Where would you get that from? So the Torah to me makes a lot of sense to me that Moshe said, in the future we're going to do this. And at some point, the people said, this is when we're going to do it. And they actually made it that they would do it. So Tzavis Bracha says, and this is really Rebarach Hapshin again, really that we're going to do it every day. Why not lane every day? Honestly, why don't we lane every day? Why don't we lane from the Sefer Torah every single day? Bring it out every single day. Get, tell me the answer. It's because, because people will go crazy. People will go crazy, right? Too long. It's just taking too long. Can't deal with it anymore because we're a bunch of little babies tiny little babies with diapers on, and we can't handle going to Shacharis for 37 minutes. We can deal with a 33-minute minion. We can't deal with a 37-minute minion. So you tell me we're going to lane. Forget it. I'm not going, and that's it. I'm out.
Okay, I should pick that up, right? <laughs> but that's it. I can't deal with it, right? That's what, we're gonna, that's what people would say. That's what people would say. And it's crazy, but that's the way. It's unfortunate. That's the way people think. The way people think, all right, I can't deal with it. So we said, fine, 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 fine. Don't worry. You'll be okay. We're only going to do it Monday and Thursday. That going to be okay? And then Shabbos, you got nothing else to do, so we're going to lay in a little bit more. And even then, people go crazy. You mean to tell me it's going to be more than two hours? What kind of a minute is that? Love it. Absolutely love it. We're such babies. Such babies. What else are you going to do on Shabbos day? What else are you going to do? I got my nap to make up. I've got to make up a nap, right? Because I normally nap every day. Because when you're at work, you're just like, it's nappy time at any point, right? So of course, on Shabbos, you got to have your nappy, right? So sometimes people will get up at 7.30 a.m. They'll go to a minion that ends in an hour and 23 minutes. They'll eat Kiddush and they'll be back to bed by 9.30. Back to bed by 9.30. They don't have to wake up until 5 o'clock for Mincha. Oh, that's my, that is my, that's my hero. That's my hero. It's unbelievable, right? Do you know anybody like that? Yeah, you, you might, right? You might. It's, such, it's so crazy. What else do we have to do? What else do we have to do? What else could we possibly do that we have to sit there and we have to stay like, nope, I can't, I can't. I can't do two hours. I can't even do 37 minutes. Can't do it. It's unreal. But this is the way we think. Says it to it's only because we can't handle it. But therefore, on a day like a public fast day, did you know this, Hawaka? On a public fast day, if you don't have 10 people fasting, if you don't have 10 people fasting for whatever reason, you don't lane from the Torah by Yechal. You don't lane. If it's a Monday, Thursday, you lane the regular laning. So let's say you have a minion. There's 12 people in the minion. Three of them are not fasting that day. You know what you do? You lane whatever parsha it's supposed to be. You don't lane by Yechal, right? But the Tzavis Bracha says, really, it should be the opposite. If there's a chiv to lane at all times, we just don't do it because of Tzirchot and Tzibura, it's bad for the Tzibur. So if for whatever reason, there's a reason why you shouldn't lane, it shouldn't matter. We should pull out the laning anyway, because we should be laning any day, every day, all the time. So he says, that might be the idea over here. He says, we don't pask in that way, which is weird, but regardless, that's there. And Ramosha says, <laughs> so they didn't learn for three days. So what do you do? We lane? Does anybody here ever pay attention to laning? Is anybody here who's following along every word? Right? You do it? Fr- okay, fine. You. But the fact is, it's only you. Right? Nobody else. You're sitting by laning and you're standing up with them and as the chazan is going, you're goodbye, yadaber Hashem, Are you doing that? Who's doing that, right? So how does this help? You go three days without learning, don't worry, you got laning. Who's learning? There are people that learn during laning, I get that, right? But who's learning from the laning? What's the point? Why do we do three psukim? Says Ramosha, what's the whole point of it? He says, the whole point of it is that you want to learn more. You hear the lane, it's sort of like Musser. You know, like, if you only have a half an hour a day to learn, what should you learn? You should learn Musser, and you'll find that you have more than a half an hour a day to learn. That's what you should learn. Same thing with laning. You should sit there and you should say, like, I want to be able to lane. I want to be able to learn what's in the Torah. What's going on here? That's the idea where you should want it. So we're giving you a tiny little bit that you go through. The truth is, that's true by any speech. Any speech should always be for the smallest amount of time possible, right, so that they want more. Instead of overdoing your stay, and then they say, oh, I wish it would have been 45 minutes less. Right? That's the way it should be. It should always be that way, because then you're always desiring more, trying to get more, trying to build yourself up. That's the idea behind it. The Maral Diskin says, the waters were not actually bitter. These waters that were in Mara, they weren't actually bitter. It was the people that were bitter. 
The people were bitter because they hadn't learned anything the past few days. Ki marimheim is because they were bitter. Not the water. They themselves were bitter. They were upset. They couldn't believe that this was out there. They could not deal with it whatsoever. It says the Maro Diskin. They had to learn how to make themselves better. And that was the lesson by Maro. Maro was all about the water tasted fine to normal people. But these people could not drink anything sweet. They couldn't have anything sweet at the time because they felt like they wanted something better. What's going on? Nothing? Sam Sofer asks an actual question. He says, what was what should they, they, they asked the question as, should they drink these bitter waters now, right? Or maybe wait until they came to somewhere else. And it was like sort of like a Shiloh. We don't have to go into that. If you look it up in Taurus Moshe, it's right in there. It's all good. Even as he says, what was this wood? What kind of a wood was this? That Moshe took a piece of wood, threw it inside the river, and made it sweet. What kind of a piece of wood is that? How can you do that? Can you do that with regular salt water, where you have a piece of wood that draws in all the salt, grabs it into itself, and then the water becomes sweet water? Do we have a piece of wood that does that? Says Ibn Ezra, we have no idea. We have no idea what it is. We have no idea if the properties of this stick normally take away bitterness from water, or it happens to be that this is a miracle. Says Ibn Ezra, we don't know. I have absolutely no idea. The Ramban says 100% it was a skula. You know what a skula is? It was something that makes absolutely no sense, but is true anyway. Where there is a natural reason for something, but we don't know the natural reason. And it seems like this. Says the Ramban, this piece of wood did not grow in this area of Mara. But Hashem made sure that it was there right at that moment so that when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that there were bitter waters, he saw the stick and Hashem said, see that stick? Throw it in the water, it's going to be awesome. And he picked up the stick that didn't belong there, put it in the water, turned it all sweet, even though it was just one little stick and a huge thing of water that the whole nation was going to drink from. Three million people were going to drink from this water. Nonetheless, this one little stick was good enough. There was a skula, it was a special piece of wood, didn't belong there. Where did it belong? I don't know, in some jungle in Africa. That's where it really belonged. But it was there, right there at that moment, for them to be able to throw it in. Some even say that it was from Gan Eden. He took that little piece of wood from Gan Eden. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says this, and put it inside the water, and this is what happens. A little bit of Gan Eden dispels all of the crazy bitterness that you could have anywhere. Just a tiny, tiny little bit of Gan Eden. We see this concept by Elisha as well. When the waters were very salty, what did he throw in to make it, to make it, to make it better? He threw in salt. Does that make any sense? Of course not. But he did that. He did that in order to bring it out. And a miracle happened and went through. This concept is there. Says the Ramban, same thing over here. It looks miraculous. There must be a reason behind it. If we really went in, we'd be able to figure out the reason behind it. That's what he says over there. That's the concept. He does one that brings down the the Ghanadian stuff. He also says that anybody who was sick who drank from this water automatically got better. You were automatically better when you drank a little bit of this water. It was a refuah shlema water that was over there. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says that as well. Rabbeinu Bachai brings down a machlokis what kind of wood it is. Rabbi Nassim says it was the hirdufni. I do not have a translation to hirdufni. I tried. There's no word that we know that compares to that. It might be a word that was used at the time in the vernacular of whatever they lived in in Babel. So it could be a Babylonian word. It could be a Hebrew word, and we just don't know what kind of botany fits this word. But he says it was a Hirdufni. Rabbi Elazar Modoi says it's an olive tree branch. We all know that olives have a bitter taste to them. So an olive tree branch was thrown into these waters. Others say it was the roots of a fig tree. I've actually never had the root of a fig tree, so I can't tell you if it's bitter or not. In the Mechilta, others say it was a willow branch. That I know. I, have you ever sucked on a willow before? 
You don't have to admit to it if you have. But regardless, there's really nothing wrong with it. It doesn't taste as bitter. But maybe it was a special type of will- willow that was just for there. Rabbi Yeshua ben Korkal brings her dufni. Targum Yonasem says her dufni. Yalku Ruveni says, totally different. Think about it. What could have been a piece of wood that he put inside? Says Yalku Ruveni, it was the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu that he put inside the water and he made the water sweet. I've got one problem with that shot. Anybody know what the problem was? It was made out of sapphire. Or it was not made out of wood. So I don't know what the Yalkuruveni means by that, but the Yalkuruveni says it was the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu that went in and the wood was able to keep it there. Either way, regardless, Rabbeinu Bechaya brings down a remez that this bitterness was the Satan. Satan tried to take them down and they were able to turn it sweet and bring it back. He brings a whole remez, Shum, Sum, Lo, Choku Mishpat. Sum, Lo is the gematria of Hasama Kel, which is the name of the Satan himself, and it brings it down. Medrash Rabbah says that the wood that he threw inside was a Dvar Torah. He threw a Dvar Torah into the water, and that's what he put inside in order to make it sweet. Crazy stuff over here. Torah Chaim Yomunah even says that it's a tzaddik, but let's go a different, different direction. There's a crazy Targum Yonas in here. Targum Yonasan says the piece of wood that he threw inside was not just a piece of wood. He took the piece of wood, and he engraved on the piece of wood the 72-letter name of God. The same 72-letter shame that's used in the base of Mikdash. He took that piece of wood and wrote the entire name down on the piece of wood, then took that piece of wood, threw it in the river, and immediately in the entire river sweetened. So it wasn't the wood that made the river sweet. It was the shame of Hashem that made it sweet. That's Targum Yonazim in Uziel. That he's the one that threw it inside and that's the shot behind it. So I've got a question. You allowed to do that? Are you allowed to erase Hashem's name that way? Write down a name on top of something or carving it into wood, in which case that eventually it's all going to rub out. Right? It's going to happen. I'm sorry? Soto water is a really good call. And in fact, this question is asked elsewhere. It's a Gemara and Babakama, where David Melech is digging the shisin of the base of Mikdash. He's digging down the foundations of the base of Mikdash. And as he comes down to a certain area, there's a rock. And Yerushalmi says, the rock looked up at David Melech. I know it's a rock. Looked up at David Melech and said, don't lift me up. You, if you lift me up, the entire world is going to be destroyed. I am stopping the depths of the earth from coming and drowning the world. That's what the rock said. David's like, eh. picks up the rock. I think all of us would do that, right? See what would happen. The water started coming up, right? And David Melech quickly said, uh-oh, how can we stop this? Realized the only way to stop it was by writing Hashem's name on the thing of, on the rock. The problem is he writes down on the rock, it's going to be erased by the water. So he said, does anybody know? Am I allowed to erase Hashem's name in order to save the world? Can I do that or not? Is it better for the world to be destroyed than erase Hashem's name? Or is it better to erase Hashem's name and save the world? Which one? And Achitofel was there. Achitofel, the chief advisor of David Mal, he didn't say anything. Then he spoke up and he said, fine, I'll tell you. If we erase Hashem's name by Sota, right, in order to make peace between a man and her, a, a woman and a man, then certainly we should save the world by erasing Hashem's name. So he wrote it on the rock, put it on the rock, saved the entire world. Nothing happened, obviously. <laughs> the world was not destroyed at the time, right? That didn't happen. It's an unbelievable thing, but it's the same exact thing over here. The shame of Hashem was allowed to be put down in order to take away the bitterness, in order to save the Jews. That's what they were allowed to do. It's an unbelievable line. The parties Yosef talks about, the Abbas Yonason brought this down. That's the idea over here. And Tom Vidas says it so much further. He says, these waters which were bitter were like soda waters. They proved to them. What happens by soda water? You drink it down and it tastes bitter. And if you're guilty, what happens? Right? Your leg falls off and your stomach explodes, which is awesome. 
right? Absolutely awesome. And what if you don't? That means that you are innocent and good things will happen, right? That's the idea behind it. This water, the bitter water, was the exact same way. They drank it down for the people that were guilty of being together with the Egyptians and of, of being mezana with the Egyptians in some way. They blew up. And those people that did not, that were not, that were all clean, they were perfectly fine. Baruch Hashem, there was not one person among B'nai Yisrael that blew up. Every single person survived. That's the amazing part, says the Tamadas. They all had bigger, beautiful babies that they were able to have over here. If, and they were all innocent. That's the concept of what happened over here. We're going to go with one last shot. And this happens to me on my, famous, my, my, my favorite shot in this entire thing. The Chassam Sofer says in his Hakdama to Chulin, in his introduction to Chulin, he says... And really, this is a lesson in life altogether. You've got to learn this all together when it comes to this. There are certain things that happen in nature that we are still not aware of. For many, many years, they had no idea how magnets work, how magnets worked. They had no clue. They knew that two things could stick together and repel each other, repel each other apart. They knew that that happened. Eventually, when they got into the molecular structure of magnets, they were able to figure out why magnets work the way they do. But in the times of Sam Sofer, he gives this as an example. We have no idea how magnets work. There's so many parts to our body. As great as we are, as great as the doctors are, and these doctors are absolutely amazing. They can tell you everything about everything in the human body. But there are so many things that they know absolutely nothing about. They can't tell you the why. They can just tell you this is what's going to happen. Why it's going to happen that way, they still can't tell you. And there's so many things like that, so many things that happen that way. Weather patterns, weather patterns. Meteorologists are amazing, amazing. The fact that at 9 a.m. yesterday, I was able to look at, it, at some app, and an app was able to tell me where the winter storm was coming from so that I would be able to know where to go in order to get out of New York so I wouldn't be stuck in that snowstorm. It's amazing, absolutely amazing what they're able to do. But weather patterns change all the time. And we all know there are crazy things that happen where they predict these hurricanes that never happen. They predict snowstorms and they don't happen, right? It happens all the time. These things happen and no one knows why. You can't tell the reason why. Says the Ksam Sofer, it's not that we will never know. It's that we don't know right now. Paraduma, why a red heifer makes us tahor, we have no idea. That doesn't mean we won't ever know. It means right now we don't know. Shotness, why doesn't shotness work? What's the problem with shotness? Are we wearing wool and linen together? Why can't you wear wool and linen together? We have no idea. Buster Bakalov, why can't I have a cheeseburger? Why can't I eat that? Why can't I have meat? Put it together with cheese. Put it together and eat it. What's the problem? Says Hassam Sofer, now we have no idea. But we will. There is a reason. And naturally speaking, there's something behind it. We just don't know it yet. We just don't know what that is. There is a bitter stick that turns bitter water sweet. And we have no idea why. But eventually, we'll know why it's going to be. Says the Sofer, this idea was something that Bnei Yisrael had to know. They just came from Kriyas Yamsuf. They're about to receive the Torah. They're going to receive the Torah in a few days on Har Sinai. They're going to go to Arsina, they're going to get the Torah together, they're going to understand it, they're going to look at it. And they're going to look at Moshe and they're going to say, what's up with Shatnas? What's up with Paraduma? What's going on with Basavachalov? Why are these things usher? And to that, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to tell them, there are certain things that we don't know yet, but we will know in the future. We just don't know it, but we'll get it. It will happen. At some point, it's going to be explained to us. There's so much to do and so much to see. And for this reason, the Chassam Sofer encouraged people, learn about how the natural world works. Learn about how these things work so that you can answer the questions. If I would ask you how incandescent bulbs work or fluorescent bulbs or how LED lights work, 
You're going to tell me I have no idea, right? Most of you will tell me that I have absolutely no idea. But those who know will be able to define for you what the problem is with using lights on Shabbos. If you know how they work, you'll be able to define, you'll say, this is why it's a problem on Shabbos. Because you'll have the information inside your head. We need that to be done. That's the concept over here. There's so much for us to be done. Our idea is, let's be Zoha. Let's try to find the merit to be able to understand everything, including why bitter sticks turn bitter water sweet. Let's figure that out. Until we figure that out, we're not there yet. We're close, but we're not there yet. Have a good Shabbos, everyone.